All right. Welcome to The Radical Therapist. This is episode 106. And this is a special episode because I have two very generous therapists joining me today to talk about the current situation in Iran. Um, and for, I know most of our listeners, but just in case, um, thousands of Iranians have taken to the streets and protests since the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, who was apprehended in Tehran and taken to a re-education center, uh, apparently for not wearing her hijab properly. Since her death, there's been a ton of demonstrations all over the country and now worldwide. And um, protesters are demanding an end to the violence and discrimination against women, as well as to end the uh, compulsory wearing of the hijab. As at, at least 1,200 people, you know, this is, I don't know the exact numbers, but at least 1,200 people have been arrested in connection with the protest. As I understand it, a dozen protesters have been killed in the resulting clashes and security forces. And I'm fortunate enough to have uh, two therapists um, who have intimate experience uh, in this uh, topic, subject, what have you. And maybe I will, we'll start by um, introducing Ida and Jordana and, and, and then maybe having you say a little bit about why you don't want to use last names and all of that stuff, if that's okay. Sure. So, Ida, should I take the lead? Sure, go for it. Um, so, my name is Jordana and I'm a licensed management family therapist. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm very excited and uh, nervous at the same time. Um, as of right now, I mean, I would be safe to just go by first name because in the future, you know, I plan to go back home and visit. So I feel more safer with my first name. So, hi, everyone. My name is Ida. Um, before we jump into it, I wanted to thank you, Chris, for sharing your platform with us to spread awareness about what's going on in my country um, we had a discussion about the safety precaution that we need to take. We have um, loved ones back in home that we decide to leave our last names out because of them. And we might go back sometime in the future. So that's why we're just going to stick to our first names. Perfect. Okay. I thought uh, maybe we would start by having you kind of maybe both share a little bit about what it was like um, when you first started to hear the news of the death of Masa Amini um, and where did it take you or, or what, what kind of happened for you both? Um, so I noticed for me initially it was a little bit of confusion um, over like what is happening, the details of uh, what had happened, her health, her state. But like slowly and quickly with time and days through news reports, I just noticed for me personally a feeling of sadness, anxiety, sorrow, just building up. Um, also with like seeing all the protests, the videos, the people, the language, um, the sound, the streets, it kind of like took me back to memories of my growing up in Iran. Um, my childhood, my teen years, young adulthood, and all my visits back home during my breaks to visit family and friends. So, and with that, it has a lot of positive and uh, good memories and um, some are negative memories, such as having to deal or interact with the moral police or having that fear of um, being stopped by them and critiqued by them. So, yeah. 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 Um, should I go? Yeah. 
I can also relate to what Jordana just mentioned. There is a lot of like feeling of anger, hopelessness, but it's also important to note that this was not necessarily this isolated incident that ignited this movement. There was a lot of event happening prior to this that violated women's right in Iran. Um, women's were getting thrown in jail for taking their hijab off in public places. There were a lot of forced confessions uh, that were broadcasted actually through national TV. Um, women's in their 20s um, that were basically saying they're sorry, but it just like felt inauthentic. And I think this was the last straw and this was where the most people drew the line. The killing of um, 23-year-old Kurdish girl Mahsa Amini while she was um, in the position of police. Yeah. And um, you, you both spoke of the morality police or moral police. And I'm, I'm wondering, you both have actual experience um, being detained or arrested by uh, these police. And I'm wondering if you could, if it would be all right, if you would be willing to tell us about your experiences uh, in, in, you know, being arrested by the morality police. Yeah. Um, so what comes to mind, I was around 17 years old. Um, I was a member of track and field team and I was running with a teammate of mine Um in a park named Talakhani, which now that more information is coming from Mahsa Amini's case is the same location that they arrested her. Um, so according to the laws, it's not okay to talk or have any friendship with the opposite sex if they're not like immediate family members. And basically the police came to us, started talking to us, asked about our relationship. We disclosed that we're teammates and they're like, this is not okay. They also mentioned that my rope is too short and therefore they have to take me to the van with my teammate. Um, I was managed to call my mom on my way to the van because as soon as you would go into the van, they would take your phone and everything. And I told her that, okay, they're, they're taking me. You should come here as soon as possible. And while I was waiting in the van, and it's weird because it almost feels like they have a coda to meet. Like you would go there, you would sit, and you would wait for them to find more people to fill out the van and then they would take you to the detention center. So while I was waiting, um, my mom came and I was able to actually see her from the van. She parked right in front of the van and started talking to the officers and asked them, where's my kid? I got a phone call that you're taking her. And as soon as they figured that it's getting heated, they lied to her. They told her, oh, we just released her. She's right and the other side of the park looking for you, you should go look for her. It is kind of ridiculous because um, the morality police first created with this intention to help families keep an eye out on their kids. That, oh, they're going against the lights, against their safety, so we're helping you to keep an eye out on them. And my mom was there and they weren't willing to give me away to her and um 
when she left, this is what she told me, because there was also no explanation to us regarding where they're taking us. There is this unknown thing on top of the anxiety that what's going to happen to you, where they're going to take you. So as soon as they took us to this detention center, which they took Mahsa Amini, um, the name is Vozara. Um, my mom talked to somebody there and they told her, I think it was a park guard or something like that, that they're taking your kids to the Vozara. And on our way there, I think the unknown part and anxiety is one thing, but the mind games that they're playing with you, it just takes it to the whole nother level. They were telling me things like it's not okay to um, have a relationship with the opposite sex. So in order for your sins to be forgiven, we might have to force you to marry him. And imagine at that time, I was like just a 17-year-old kid, terrified, terrified of what's going to happen to me. They went through our phones, make sure we don't have anything anti-government. So that was also pretty um stressful for me but when we got there they took us to this rooms and probably 10-15 minutes after I could hear my mom arriving and started shouting at them that I need my kid this is not all right where is she long story short because they tell you that you have to call your parents to come and bail you out but they end up because my mom started fighting with her with them so they ended up detaining her mm. in, I guess, solitary confinement, which because I didn't see her. And her file was much more thicker than mine. <laughs> um, and because of it, I ha we had to call my dad. My dad had to come bail me out. They were telling my mom that you have to sign like a petition to, to say that I'm not going to get into a fight with morality police anymore and all that. And she wasn't willing to sign it. So she stayed there. So long story short, they were kind of scared of her and they eventually were willing to release her. But um, yeah, that was pretty much my experience, which still it's kind of like anxiety provoking going over it. All right. And Jordana, you had, a, you had an experience as well? Yes. So, I mean, there's been like few experiences all day encounter, but I would say my first serious encounter with the police was um, I was 19 and that was the time I was going to Iran for my summer break. So I was like very excited. Um, it was very normal and typical to for friends to get together, hang out. And I remember on this one occasion, me and my best friend, we were going to a pool party, uh, which was only between 10 to 15 people. Nothing really big or out of the ordinary. And um I remember during our time there, and this was out of uh, the city of Tehran, so more in Karaj, a little bit further away from home. And I remember me and my best friend, after two or three hours of being there, telling each other we should like probably get ready and head out. And after a few minutes, I remember while getting ready, I noticed like from the corner of my eye, I see a group of men um, dressed in camouflage uniforms just flooding in. And I see like they're holding their uh, rifle guns in their hands. And at that point, like, you're so scared, but you're kind of, like, in shock and your brain is trying to, like, really figure out or comprehend what is really going on. It's, like, chaos. It's, like, um, everybody's, like, screaming, yelling, name-calling, shoving the guys. It was just, like, running around and a true definition of being traumatized. So I remember in that moment, I was, like, okay, I need to, like, get it together. 
I remember running to the room, just like um, contacting my best, my other best friend and letting her know that this is what's happening. I need you to let my family and uh, the other kids' family that this has happened. And we are in Karaj to come and bail us out and for them to know about our whereabouts. Because like Ida said, it's not like when they arrest you, they contact your family. They take your phone. Um, they threaten you. They say, Nobody's going to come after you. We're not going to let them know. So it's very um, fearful situation to be in. Um, so I remember after that, we they lined us up. And when we headed outside the house, it's kind of like a five, six, seven um, police cars and vans. Um, they're there. The lights are flashing. And they're kind of like putting us into groups to get into each car. Um I remember in our way going to this detention center where you don't know where it is, where you're going, how far it is. Um, I just remember the driver's officers, they were kind of like making fun of us, spreading us or saying, you guys are never going to get out. You guys did so bad or um, the judge is going to be really hard on you. Your parents don't care. Like just comments and words like that. Um, during the detention center, I mean, a lot of details did occur and happen. And then eventually they told us that you guys are going to be spending the night and you're going to have court the day after. I remember the part that was really humiliating. It was when they were doing the body searches and men and women separate, but in front of everyone, very like inappropriate, dehumanizing to check us. Mm, I remember spending the night, it was like in this big room, um, it was me and my friends and a group of other women. A few that kind of stayed with me till this day that I remember was uh, a young woman who she, it looks like she had addiction and she was going through like very severe withdrawals and kind of, she was very sick. So it was very hard to see her suffer like that. And I remember there was another lady, she was there with her five-year-old son in prison with her. And I, I believe her husband had, stolen and did some fraud so he was on he had run away um and there was this one other young lady who she was around my age we kind of like said and spoke about our life and i asked her why are you here um she mentioned that she doesn't have any family she's a runaway she was doing street walking and sex work and that's why they arrested her i remember noticing on her hands she had so many cuts it was just like filled with cuts and from being in psychology in school, I mean, I knew that was how much pain and suffering she was in to cause so much like self-harm and the cuts. So the night we spent there, um, one memories I remember uh, hearing a dog was barking outside the detention, detention center and telling my friend, I wish I was, that, I was that dog or I had that freedom, that dog is free, just thinking about freedom. Um, in the morning, they called her names. I remember I had tears of joy just running down my face just when they called my name that you guys are free, your parents are here. So they kind of transferred that we had to sign these pledges that we're going to promise we're not going to go through this. We're not going to be violating the rule, the law, or be in the same situation. After that, a few months after, we had the court, which um, we had to pay a fine and we had to make another pledge that if we were arrested under the same circumstances in the future two years, we would get the slashes and uh, we would have to pay a large sum of fee. And let's say if I went to Iran, maybe I wouldn't have the right to leave again. 
especially coming from America, going to school here. Um, so there was a lot of like risk, even living after that experience that you always had to be on guard, careful. If you're arrested again, you're done. Like having that constant fear that you're living in. So that was one of, that was my serious significant yeah. experience wow. that I went through. And, mm. and yeah, thank you for sharing that. And that well, <clears throat> wow. Um, you know, you're both therapists, and, and I've spoken a, a bit with Ida about this, but uh, how do you both care for yourselves during something like this while in the midst of caring for others? Jordana, do you want to? Um, sure, I can go. Um, I noticed for me just, like, talking about the matter helps a lot with um, my friends, coworkers, people I trust, peers, families, Um also practicing compassion, knowing that, reminding myself that I'm not alone in this experience. It's a shared human experience that us Iranians and other women and people in the world is seeing us and we're going through. And that does really give a sense of comfort and, you know, uh, groundedness. I'll be honest with you, Chris, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. It's a real struggle to keep the balance. Hmm. I think at this point, I would call it a crisis fatigue because mm. we we are entering the third week of protests in Iran. Mm. I'm constantly torn in between reading the news, talking to people, spreading awareness and trying to take time to self-care. Mm. And I think I'm starting to uh, assess the way that I show up um, in the room for my clients and for me that's where I draw the line if I feel like um, I can't show up the way that I want to I would probably take a mental health day Um, I'm starting to insert little things throughout my day that keeps me going like taking long walks going to the beach do meditation Um, but I recently started doing these I'm not sure to what extent it's sustainable long term (laughs) Yeah, I, I yeah, I can't imagine. And um, I, I'm wondering, you know, in Iran, the protests began in Amini's hometown of, I think I'm saying it right, Sakiz in Kurdistan, and then spread to most of all of the provinces of Iran. And I, I imagine you both know um, some of the people protesting in the streets. And I'm wondering if you could say a bit for our listeners about the people of Iran that might not be getting covered in the news. Yeah, well, um, I left Iran more than 10 years ago. So like many of the people, I'm getting most of my uh, news, um, most of my information from news and social media and talking to families and friends a bit. Um a little bit information about who's on the streets. Um, the age range are fairly young. It's people that are born in 2000. It's mostly from the age of 15, 16 to 25 that are kind of the leaders of this protest. Um, I think a lot of people from different industries like entertainment, sports and all that, um, news even, are joining the people and starting to... Um, go on their Instagram and do posts that um, is supporting people that are on the streets. I feel like what's not necessarily right now being covered is that um, I believe resistance happens um, from different layers in the society. 
we have human lawyers and activists who has been picking their battles legally um, by fighting the justice system. Uh, some of the names that comes to mind is Nasreen Sotuda and I guess Mohammadi, um, who've been in and out of jail um, for the past couple of years for fighting for women's rights, which the bravery is pretty commendable because as soon as they're out, they would pick up right where they left off and which almost always results in them uh, going back to jail with longer sentences. I mean, Ida explained it perfectly and what's different about this movement, what we see it's like a women's movement. You see the women, like Ida said, from younger generations, our generations, older generations, um, with also men supporting them and coming from all backgrounds uh, of the society. And it has like this movement has evolved into becoming something more than that, more, more than just the women's rights movement. It's about like the corruption and all the restrictions and injustice and unfair treatment and imprisonment and lack of um, just having a good quality of life that is kind of like united all the people in Iran and outside of Iran to kind of like protest. Yeah, um, the, the youth will save us, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and the women, <laughs> let's be clear, right? Mm -hmm. um, Ida, you shared a story with me about being in Iran during the Green Movement that arose after the 2009 Iranian presidential election. And I'm wondering if you could share what you were noticing about those. You were saying something about how you, these protests seem different than those protests because those did not sustain over time. Um, and I was wondering if you could say something about that. Yeah, so um, I think it's different in its nature, in a way that in the Green Movement, we went on the streets and we wanted the president that we initially voted for, which was President Musavi. Um, he was pretty deep-rooted in the government, and that showed that people still were willing to work something out with the government. Um, they wanted this, they still wanted this regime, they still had hope. I think hope is the essence and it's the difference between the green movement and this movement the feminist movement that is currently happening in a way that a lot of younger generation they don't have hope in the, regarding their future anymore um what else i think protests are spread out way more spread out throughout the country um it wasn't in and you could see people like going on the street in all the small cities uh, and even in the religious cities such as Mashhad which is one of the um cities that the Islamic government has all the power in I think what is different and I think it's the most important point is that this is a feminist movement that is happening in Iran. And by far, I think it's the most successful feminist movement that I've seen in my life. Hmm. And that includes the Me Too and any other movements such as Black Lives Matter. And um, I'm also interested in what you think, Chris, <laughs> because I feel like the feminist movement in Iran right now has uh, the support of all the men. Hmm. Men in my country figured something, and that is in order for them to reach their freedom, they have to support women's rights. 
Um, another thing is Mahsa Amini. She is Kurdish. She is in the minority. And that's why, like a lot of Kurdish people are Sunni, uh, meaning it's a, another strain of um, Islam. Most people in my country are Shia. So she is pretty much in the minority. You don't see a lot of talk around her ethnicity and the fact that she's minority. It's You see this big movement around her that is supporting her fully and I feel like this is something that we kind of um, failed in the West when it comes to our movements. For example, there was always, when I think about uh, Me Too movement, the BLM movement, there's almost always this sense of otherness. Mm -hmm. It gained a lot of support, but it was also a lot of otherness. Um, like the Blue Lives Matter movement kind of got created in a opposition of what was happening and try to take the uh, focus away from what was important. You don't see that in Iran. <laughs> you see this cohesiveness that people are supporting the cause and fighting for one thing, which is their freedom. And, um, I think that is one of the key difference that we're getting much more coverage from the West, um, comparing to the green movement. Because women essentially are dealing with the same issues, um, but in different forms. People all over the world can relate to what we're going through. Yeah, and I, and I think you point something out that I've become really interested in over the last couple of years because of this these experiences, even going as far back as Occupy, the Occupy movement and stuff like that, just the fracturing that happens and that, that in, in here, at least in the West, you know, there, it's so hard to coalition build, but what you were describing in Iran was this co this coalescing around, um, you know, this movement and not a lot of um, fracturing that you were describing that happens, that have happened in recent movements around here that, you know, caused them not to sustain over time. And that is what I'm really interested in, how coalition building, not community building, quite honestly. I know community is really important, but I mean, going beyond that and how do we coalesce, how do, how do communities... Uh, with different concerns still coalesce together uh, for things like, you know, human rights and freedom and, and democracy or what have you, whatever the interest may be, right? So, yeah, uh, very interesting point. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, over time. I, I, I hope, I hope, you know, um, real change happens. Because I think the rest of the world, I mean, we're all watching, right? The world's watching and, and you're watching and uh, yeah. I'm not sure where it goes, but I'm just thinking the fact that this cohesiveness has been going on and it's been entering its third week of protest. Mm -hmm. I consider this a victory in a form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Okay. So what are your hopes for Iran at this time and the people of Iran during this challenging time? What do you, what are your, how are you holding on to hope in, in this moment? Um, I have to say at moments it can be very hard. Like that sense or feeling of hopelessness is there. And I think it's uh, being trained for it to be there and be so strong because 
I, I, um, I grew up and I was born after the revolution. So all my life and growing up was through and under the Islamic Republic. So I don't know any better than that. I mean, I live in the States. I am, I can see what a better quality of life and government has to offer. But in Iran, that's all I've seen um, under that state. So it's very easy and you've been taught to have that hopelessness in regards to like change or reform or like a better life and equality um however like we all know hope is everything is it's the most important thing that you need to have in practice um so for me just knowing that i try to like acknowledge it and validate myself and kind of normalize that this is normal that i'm going through these feelings like i mentioned before it's just talking about it um, with other people and sharing that feeling of hopelessness can really help um, I try to tell, my, tell myself that just try to make some form of step towards forward, whether it be small, big, in your own unique way, that is towards bettering and towards reform and equality, um, that can be more than anything important. And it helps with that maintaining or installing or building on that hope that we need more than ever. Yeah, I agree with Jordana. I think the worst thing that this government has done to us is taking away our hope. Hmm. And as you mentioned, Chris, I think the youth will save us because <laughs> mm-hmm. I see hope in their generation. Um, but I think the alternative story for me is that whenever something like this happens, there's this part of me that is hoping to ch- see change in my lifetime to see my country going through a change for better in my lifetime. Mm. And kind of to get literal, I think what people in my country want is through a democratic process. There's a lot of talk that we should have a referendum um, and change this regime, come up with a government that is more representative of what people want and their values. I think um, we don't want a lot of, I don't think people mind the support from outside, but I think they want to make the change happen from the inside. Hmm. And that means we have, I mentioned a lot of lawyers, activists, like they're hoping for these people to um, get released from jail, start working on rewriting the laws, rewriting the constitution and make it more inclusive for everyone. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, uh, last question for you both, and thank you for this, but last question for you both. As, I guess, as therapists, as human beings, as people in the world, what are your suggestions for anybody that might experience the current events of the world as overwhelming? I would say definitely reminding yourself and knowing that you're not alone. Like I said, this is a shared human experience, and it's a human normal feeling to have Um, being behind one another um, connecting to others reaching out talking about it like we talked about earlier practicing self-care is one of the most important things during these challenging times and just knowing that as a group as we unite we're more powerful and we just have to like push forward and move forward Yeah, I agree with Jordana that I think for me also practicing self-care is the key. Um, Be mindful of 
what is happening and how it is influencing your mental health, your body, your well-being. Um, though this is something that I'm trying to learn to balance mm -hmm. myself. Hmm. Okay, I lied. I have one more question, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as you know, as somebody on the outside, and I'm sure there's other people, you know, that want to be helpful in some way. What do you, how, how might somebody, you know, listening or like even me, how, how might we be helpful to the, to the, to the effort, to the, the protest, to the change? Are you going or should I go? Uh, you can go. <laughs> okay. Well, I think, uh, Chris, what you're doing is amazing, as I mentioned before we start with the questions, like your platform is something that we're using to spread awareness. So keep sharing, keep talking, keep it alive in the news. As we're talking today, they closed um, the Sharif University, which is equal to um, the Harvard in here the most um, intellect smart people are and they're studying and they close all the exits and they're shooting people they're shooting and mm. killing the students and the more we talk about these problems the more we keep it alive the more we broadcast it to the world the more i feel like these people at least to some extent will be safer because they know the world is watching I agree. Um, I thank Chris for you to give us this opportunity and also your interest to learn about and hear from us our experience or our perspectives as Iranian women. Um, that says a lot and is very important. And it's just that building that awareness and curiosity and spreading that information that can be very helpful and important at this time. Wonderful. And listeners, I'll provide some links of different organizations and what have you that you might want to check out in the show notes. And so please check that out. I'm not going to give you Ida or Jordana's information like I might do in other podcasts. Um, but if you want me to pass a message to them, you can email me uh, at the radical therapist uh, at gmail.com. And I will be happy to pass any messages you would like, uh, any messages of solidarity, support, whatever. I'll be sure to forward that to them so they can have that. And Ida and Jordana, I want to say thank you very much for, you know, coming on and, and being vulnerable and sharing your stories. And um, and uh, hopefully we, we are all watching and, and in solidarity with you. And um, yeah. Um, and holding hope thanks for having us i appreciate it thank you so much chris for having us and the opportunity appreciate it thank you